You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. A life fully realized. That's how I would describe my guest today. A painter that is loved by his community of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and celebrated as one of Canada's treasures. His work can be seen across Canada and is part of some very prestigious collections, including royalty. I'm Kevin Power, and this is Saskatchewan-born painter Gus well, Froze. We're going to talk to you about today. Your life as an artist. We're in the beautiful Hammond building in Moose Jaw, in your <coughs> stunning space. What a what a wonderful space that you have. What a luxury to be able to be an artist with their own studio like this. Incredible. And I'm surrounded by your artwork, which no doubt feel... You must feel very prolific as you sit here looking around. <laughs> well, I, I have to store them someplace and... At, at, I had a, a, an ex- exhibition along with Marge Moore. She's a quilter. Right. And it was called A Collaboration. It was different because she quilted. She took one of my paintings and made a quilt that looked, oh, you could hardly tell the difference. She did it, that with a number of pictures, and then she gave me several quilts, and I painted with acrylic paint and... Uh, Textile medium, it, that leaves it flexible. Yes. You paint, painted pictures on it, <clears throat> and we did <clears throat> others. Like uh, it took a photograph, and we each did our interpretation of that photograph, quilting, painting. So that right. show was in Winnipeg, and then it it's going to Holland, Manitoba, right. and that's where it's coming up in July. And from there, it's going to Saskatoon. Near Tana Church? Yeah. Oh, that's not far from me. Oh. Oh, good. Like on Lake Louise? Uh, yeah, well, Louise, Louise, yeah, Louise. Well, you're very lucky to be uh, to be having your work exhibited. I know that that's such an effort for young artists to even just get their work <coughs> shown yeah. to begin with. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But you're established, so you are I've been at it for a while. You have been. So let's start as my favorite... Saying goes, let's start at the very beginning. Oh, to quote great. Rogers That's and Hammerstein. Nice to start again. Yes. So, <coughs> you were born in Hayward. Hey, Haywarden. Hey yeah. Where? Yeah. Where's Haywarden, Saskatchewan? That's, that's uh, north of here. Uh, you know, we're uh, well, south of Saskatoon. Not there. far from Outlook. Oh, across from Outlook. Right. Right. <clears throat> on, on the number, just south of the fifteen highway, which goes to Outlook. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that the at the turn of the 20th century was when they were building the railway connection between Outlook and Moose Jaw. Uh-huh. So that would have put your town on the map. Hey, Warden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my dad just came over to Canada 
he, he and mom and uh, four kids, they came to Canada. They couldn't speak a word of English. And they he, came from where? From Russia. Uh-huh. Oh. And, and he, they couldn't speak a word of English. And he got a job at Haywarden on the railroad. So that's what they were doing. And, and that's where I was born. They, they didn't have any money at all. In fact, they escaped from the Bolshevik Revolution. Right. So they didn't have anything. <clears throat> so they lived upstairs in the lumberyard. There was a bit of a cubby there. And that's it. four kids... Five. Anyway, I was born upstairs in a lumberyard. Were you? Yeah. And I sometimes I wonder if that's why I became a journeyman carpenter. Right. <laughs> yeah. I love wood. You know. It too. was genetic. <laughs> yeah. It was. You were. Yeah. You, he, he is a carpenter too. Wow. It, it. There's a common thread in all the stories I tell when people talk about their their family's first coming to Canada. The hardship that families oh, yes. endured then. <laughs> I don't know. It would be interesting to know if we could weather such hardship now. You know, we're in such self-indulgent times. There was no chance to navel gaze back then. Well, we'd sure have to do some adjusting. I just, uh, like you say, uh, it's hard to imagine what we would have done. (laughs) And you're not an only child? No, I'm the seventh child. It's with eight boys and six girls, you see. And how often do you have the opportunity to get together? Every Easter and every Christmas we have a family reunion. Wow, wonderful. Where? Oh, we take turns. And your parents were a big influence on you growing up. Your mother was a quilter. She she quilted, right. Mm -hmm. And your dad? He had to farm Mm -hmm. to make a living. Mostly we raised horses and and, uh, cows Cattle, pigs, chickens, goats, sheep, bees, everything, just to survive. And and he was a very, very skilled carpenter. I should tell you one something about it. Do we have time for a little? Yeah, we have time for anything. Okay, but he, when they came to Canada, they had nothing. Okay, and and <clears throat> Dad thought he'd have to have a chair, and all he had the tools he had was a jackknife, you know. Or <laughs> anyway. He found in the junk pile, he found pieces here, pieces there of a chair. So he put them all together. In some cases, he had to manufacture a piece and made a chair. 1927, my father fabricated this chair with pieces of old chairs that he found. Wow. And it's so, it's a chair of, of many colors. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. How lucky you are to still have that well, piece. Yeah, I'm lucky, all right, because I was teaching Hanley at the time, the co-op school, and there was a, a junk pile up in the pasture. Right. There was a blow, a dust bowl there, and they took everything, and when they moved from the farm, they took everything to the junk pile that they thought wouldn't be any good. Well, I went to the junk pile and I salvaged that chair, Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and a, a number of other things that had gone to the to the dump. But I'm so happy I salvaged it. And no plans to sell that? No, no, it's not for sale. <clears throat> <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. But I think my, maybe, well, I know that my sons would appreciate having it. So um, I would expect growing up on a farm that you 
grew up as an observer of of oh, everything. You can see everything. That, the observing was ignited the spark that of your creativity. I think it it influenced my work a lot because if you look around, it's rural scenes, mm-hmm. largely yeah. urban and rural, and 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 so. <clears throat> What else would I paint? Why would I paint that? Right. I, I grew up with it. Yeah. And most of these paintings are experiences. Yeah. Or uh, some of them, anyway. It's your story through painting. Mm. Some write about it, you paint about it. Right. Ice fishing. Yeah. I've never done that. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but but I, I drove down there and I drove across Buffalo Pound Lake and I, it's just like a, a village. Tents scattered all over like this. Wow. And uh, ice fishing, so I had to put that on a canvas. And pioneer shacks. But you didn't start out as a full-time artist. No. You studied teaching to begin with. Well, I I taught, and I'm retired from teaching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, in, in the classroom type of teaching, I was there for 24 years. And then I took a leave of absence, and I had been teaching art workshops all over. And <clears throat> so that, that's what I did. And I couldn't afford to go back teaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, teaching salaries weren't that good. Right. But anyway, I, I did that for 26 years. But had you had a calling to be a teacher early on, or were, was there a conflict in you? Of Did you look at the possibility of being an artist full-time, or was that just no. not even not even a well, question? When Nona Malcaster suggested it, yeah. I, at, at, in, at that time, that was in 1952, and it, it, an artist couldn't possibly make a living yeah. in those days. Right. So this is why I went for teaching instead. But... Uh, I've had some student, past students tell me that it didn't matter what I was teaching. It was always teaching art, whether it was social studies or right. science or English or welding or drafting. <laughs> always art. So it's so much part of who you are that you can't talk about any subject without approaching it creatively. I, guess, I think it's involved in everything. Yeah. It's... Uh, big part of life for for everybody I think yeah and did you were you able to impart that specifically to your students or was that just really something that they were intuitively able to pick up about you I mean did you I I think that's right just pick it up right but my major B.Ed. major was industrial arts Uh minor in languages but I just switched completely after teaching uh, shops and stuff. I, I taught art here at Peacock for 10 years right. and uh, night classes and workshops all, all across Canada. Right. Well, from farthest west, east was Dauphin, Manitoba in the comp school there. I was mm-hmm. And uh, Victoria as far as west. Mm-hmm. But uh, we studied at the U of S Kinderdine campus yeah, I did. And you had a lot of influences there. <clears throat> well, when I finished teacher's college, I went straight to Emma Lake to right. take a class. And, of course, what happened then, you took your teacher's college, 
And then you had to take classes by correspondence, summer school, etc., until you get a, a standard certificate. Then you go back for a year to finish off your B.E.D. Well, I went straight in there for uh, an art class from uh, Rita Cowley and uh, Horace Wickenden. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with those. But in 58, after I'd taught for a number of years, I went back again and studied with uh, Art Mackay and Roy Cayuga. Mm-hmm. And you might, might be familiar with them. And... Other than that, I took class from Art Mackay at Regina Campus and ceramics from Jack Schurz, um, Regina Campus, and, and so on. Anyway, uh, that was a, a part of my studies, was art. Right. So, can you talk a little bit about the importance of teachers generally in in our lives and the, the importance that you place on teaching you? You were quoted as saying, once a teacher, always a teacher. Oh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get away from it. Right. But it's amazing. The You spoke of um, of Winona Mulcaster as being a huge influence on you, and she recognized something in you that mm-hmm. you hadn't even articulated yet for yourself. Oh, no. I, I knew nothing about art. That's my first art experience with yeah. her. Right. And she's she lives in Mexico. She's been, she has a property there, and she's been there for years. Does she know the impact that she had on your life? Oh, yes. We had a teacher's college reunion. We I graduated in 53. Mm-hmm. 50 years reunion in 2003. And the, the committee that organized, they, they phoned me and asked me to look after Nora Mulcaster. She was uh, 90 at the time. And and so I was supposed to pick her up and take her to the teacher's college and all this. Well, when Kathleen and I got to the building, the old teacher's college building on Avenue A, uh, here this woman comes tripping around the corner, and it was her, just wow. bouncing. And she said, hi, Gus. I was so surprised. Did you feel like a student all over again? Yeah. I find it really hard to meet teachers that had an influence on me and feel like a grown-up. I immediately go back to that stage of life. Exactly. And she said, I I hear that you're supposed to take me home tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen said, well, I'll have something to say about that. Anyway, Uh, we kidded around. But she was just, the speeches she made were the most, meaningful of any speeches that were made wow. all throughout. Wow. She just really uh, a solid person. Yeah. And it, she's well she's she's such a vivacious person. She's been my mentor from the beginning in teaching and also in art. Um you were actively involved with the Saskatchewan Arts Board at one point? I was <clears throat> while well, I was yeah, six years. Right. In what capacity? Well, uh, board on the executive. Less it is the Saskatchewan great. Arts Board. Where would we be without their support? Oh, it was a beautiful experience. Good. And you were also on the museum board here in Moose Jaw? I was there for briefly. Yeah. Right. Um, the Saskatchewan uh, Government Collection. 
talk about that. Your your pieces are a part of that exhibit. Yep. And that's housed where? Well, <laughs> different offices, right? You know, have pieces of mine, right. and they, in the hospital, there you walk down the hallway, and I see things that I did. <laughs> wow, that's so great! But what does it feel like? What does it feel like to walk through a hospital and and see? Uh, does it? Of course, I'm sure it conjures up memories of of, of right. the painting itself. It's like <clears throat> like a part of me, you know, like. Yeah. Uh, uh, sibling or whatever, a very good friend. Right. Know? That's wonderful. That's what they represent. You have another very good friend, another piece of yours, Prince Edward. Oh, um, Prince Edward. Prince Edward hangs in some small little shack somewhere, does it? Yeah, it's a little shack in yeah. uh, the suburbs of London. Right. Buckingham something or other? It's, it's a palace. Oh, yeah. right. Now, <laughs> how did that come to be? <laughs> well... Prince Edward, yes, there he is, <clears throat> holding his picture in the palace. Uh, he is uh, honorary something lieutenant of the Saskatchewan Dragoons, right? And the Saskatchewan Dragoons commissioned me to paint two portraits of him. One to go to they took it to Buckingham Palace, and the other one to the to the armories here. So, and they're both like that, pretty much the same. That's an impressive credit, Gus. Well, I, yeah, I, I like the idea too. But I mean, it's it's uh, it's not everybody can say that they have a piece hanging in Buckingham Palace. <clears throat> no, tremendous sense of satisfaction. Yeah, I think I I feel good about it too. <laughs> what did it feel like when you made that transition from teaching to being a an artist full time. It it felt right. The timing felt right. Yeah. Was it scary from a financial point of view to make that leap? Well, it would be because I had no idea whether this would pay, you know, uh, make a living. Yeah. But I was so lucky that just when I decided to take a leave of absence at Peacock, mm -hmm. my wife started teaching again. She was a teacher. And while the kids were growing up, she didn't teach. So now she started teaching again. So that's that's her living, you know, from right. now on. Right. And and while she wasn't teaching, she finished off her B.Ed. and her master's degree. Right. Actually, while she was teaching, also, so financially it didn't hurt us. But I'd been thinking about it, and <clears throat> I wanted the freedom of like being cooped up in a classroom mm -hmm. is uh, is okay mm -hmm. in, in when there's a big blizzard outside right right but on another day it might not be so okay sure but uh, this teaching of workshops it's freelance teaching yeah 10 years of that i spent at siast or sti you mm -hmm. know like at in my studio on Brown Street, mm -hmm. we sold the house, and my, I had a huge studio in the backyard I built. And <clears throat> I had classes coming into my studio, like, uh, oh, all the way from kindergarten to grade 12. Just, they, they'd drop in, and we'd talk about things, or I gave these little kids something to do, uh, very briefly, 
because it only had one period to go <laughs> or two. So talk about your children. You were prolific not only in painting, but also in family. <clears throat> well, we had three boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, our oldest boy, he's in Canmore, and he has, uh, he and his, his wife have two kids. Mm-hmm. They're the only grandchildren we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is a girl. She lives in, Hel- in Halifax, Nova Scotia. She, that's where she graduated from St. Vincent Right, yes. In uh, oh, well. Halifax. And the boy, he just graduated from high school. And he's a, a snowboard and skateboard freak. And he's been working in a skateboard shop as long as he can remember. I mean, since he was out of elementary school. And now he's moved from Canmore to Kelowna, working again at the same thing. Did your oldest son... Um, uh, pick up that artistic gene at all? Oh yes, yes. He uh, he uh, went. He wanted to be an architect, and he went. There was opening here in Regina for one year. They had a, a college architecture, and then it closed. So he had to move either to Calgary or Winnipeg. Well, Winnipeg wouldn't take any students out of province, but then. Finally, they were sort of going down, Calgary was coming up, and it opened up, so he got in. And he went uh, for about two years, and then he really, uh, university didn't appeal to him that much, but he he was really good good in his work, so he became a designer builder. Mm. That's what he does. Right, right. And, and well, he... I, th- I think he's really good, and a lot of other people must think so because his designs are sought after. Wow! So what what kind of as a as an artistic dad? What what do you impart to your children? I mean, you must have raised them also being observers. Well, I, I guess that's uh, genetic, maybe. Yeah. Like my from their from my their mother and from me, but uh, but you encourage creativity. Well, I th- think so. I had a, I built a studio in the backyard, and I worked in there, and I had a kiln and a pottery table, and I had an easel like I have here, and painting and drawing. They witnessed that daily, right? And uh, <clears throat> in fact, they didn't even take art in high school. They say they learned enough in the studio in the backyard. I'm quite certain. And and uh, well, Rich, the oldest one, he he was always interested in taking classes that would really benefit him in the end because he wanted to be an architect or into that field. Right. And <clears throat> Rob, he was uh, Rob is the second. That's the second yeah. son, and he's uh, into ceramics. Yes. Uh, and he sort of. I guess he got some some start in my studio. I should think. I'll uh, be talking to him this afternoon, so I'll find out. Oh, yeah. And then I took a class from Jack Shures in Regina, mm-hmm. and I think that really tipped him off. He, he really liked that. He ended up teaching, taking classes at the university. with his got a BFA. And, oh, he's just gone. I think he... He's just great. Well, you must. You're his dad. But I also get the sense that you would say that even if he weren't related, you seem to really admire his work. I just, 
I don't think I've ever seen anybody do as do work that's as good as that. Wow. Well, that's that's what I feel. Even aside from being his dad. Sure. Wow, that's wonderful. And Kirby, he's a Kirby's the youngest. Yeah. He was uh, became the manager of the wines, grapes wine bar. Right. And from there, he became the manager of the wine store downtown, and he met people from all over the world. And, <clears throat> okay, just briefly, mm-hmm. when one of them came from Australia, mm-hmm. invited him to come to Australia and learn to how to make, make wine. Mm-hmm. Another one from Napa Valley yeah. invited him. Another one from Chile and, and, and Okanagan. And he went to these places learning how to make wine in different countries. Sure. Ended up being, oh, probably one of the best winemakers in the Okanagan. And then he became, well, he was winemaker for different companies. And finally, he, he and somebody else started a winery in o- Oliver. Yeah. And after several years, he sold out and he came to Moose Jaw. Right. Now he's the manager of the Grant Hall. So wine is his art form in many ways. It is, yeah. yeah. I think that's quite an artistic thing. Absolutely. Yeah, and and being a chef too. He 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 studied that and became a a trained chef. Wow. Right. And but when we go to his place, we got gourmet stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and Rob. He's no slouch at baking and cooking. Right. Also. Right. So you're a well-fed family. Well-looked after that way. Yeah. Wow. And so you've accomplished so much in in your life so far. What's left? Well, we always fit in some traveling, you know. Yeah. Uh, We've done several trips to Mexico, to Cuba, and Hawaii and stuff. And we hope to continue that on. There, there's nothing really pressing now, and I'm great at procrastinating. Yeah. And when I have a show slated for some date in the future, yeah. I typically I just sit back and I guess I'm doing it while I'm not even putting a brush to sure. it. But they all, everything happens within the last month or so, even though I had two years or something. I think most every artist would say that's true. <laughs> yeah, I think sp- so. Yeah, if you spend so much time, yeah. really, cre- it never the sense of urgency is what really creates. Right. And we're always, <clears throat> I'm always painting, whether I'm in my studio or not, uh, or doing something like that. I always like to talk to established artists and get their feedback on advice they would impart to young artists who are at that crossroads of of questioning if they should choose this, Mm -hmm. are they ready to choose this as a living? Um, It's frightening even now to make that, any artist, no matter what genre, it's it's not the easiest life uh, financially. It never is. You have to, (laughs) I, I think, I'm sure that you have to have something else, you know, like in my case, teaching. Even after I quit, I left the classroom teaching, 
the other teaching was actually more lucrative than that. <laughs> right. And and it sort of filled the gap. I I make I make enough living off that. And every workshop I do, I'd have some pieces to show, and people were interested in buying them too. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, right now you say, "What's my bucket list?" Yeah. I would just as soon see some some young fellow come in here, or a young person to just to do things, you know. Yeah. Is your space available for people to do that? You seem to have a. Quite an open door as far as welcoming people to yeah, stop it, by. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> everybody. Anybody's welcome here anytime. Right. Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. I was going to ask you um, to talk a bit about, because of your time with the Saskatchewan Arts Board, the, the importance of grants um, mm. to, to artists, that, that artists know how to apply for a grant properly. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, I, well, th- we dealt with that a lot. and uh, uh, It's a skill. Yeah, it, you'd have to. I, I wasn't in charge of that, you know, right. on the arts board, but uh, somebody is, and we, um, all of us, got familiar of what is important for an artist to suggest in a, in an application, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if if I'm asked now by some artist to write a report on his work so that his grant might be successful. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to do that, and I th- I think I have the skill to know what to put down there. It has to be the truth, for one thing. Yes. But, uh, but uh, to put the right things down mm-hmm. so that they, they're successful in their right. request. You know, not everybody in Saskatchewan grows up in a town where there's where there's a, a lot of access to to art and artistic possibilities mm. and courses. No, right. So, what does somebody growing up in a small town population? I was in Willow Bunch yesterday, two hundred and eighty, who you know aspires to to be an artist. How do you how do you foster that um, when you don't have a lot of stimulus or any lot of opportunity? And to break into this circle of successful, uh, you know, being an artist, successful artist, and 
but even in a small place, you know, nowadays, the, <clears throat> it's as big as the world, you know, you don't have to be stuck in a little place. Right. You can touch base with a lot of other artists and go to a lot of galleries to see art. I, I never missed a show in I don't know how many galleries. Yeah, I think that's really important that, that yeah. no matter what what your genre that you that you devour art of all forms, that you go and listen to music, that you go and see dance, that, yeah. you, that you experience it all. It all informs what your work. And, and my wife feels the same way about art as I do. And so we, wherever we go, we go to New York for the Christmas holidays or to New Orleans or whatever, uh, <clears throat> we always stop at all the galleries that are there. <clears throat> and... Uh, um, She's just as knowledgeable about what's good art as I am. And uh, that's, that's a great help to me, too. Right, sure, I'm sure. We support each other. And in small-town Saskatchewan, I'd like to think that there's always a, a Miss Mulcaster, a, a teacher in, oh, in a school yeah, that, right. that recognizes mm -hmm. the spark. And I recall going to... Uh, we flew to... Ottawa <clears throat> to see uh, a show by Van Gogh. And this was a special show. It had pieces that were brought back from owners, a show that had never been viewed by all by anybody, a lot of the pieces. So we flew there and saw that, took a train to Toronto and saw in, in the Ottawa in the Toronto gallery. We saw Picasso, the same type of show. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, actually, it was, yeah, I think Ottawa, that's, that's where, that's the National Gallery. Yes. Yeah, that, that was Picasso and, but anyway, to those two artists, which I admire a lot. Once considered very controversial, um, Picasso, uh, and I... I spoke earlier with a group of seven artists that are that are very involved in creating public art in, in big centers, temporary public installations of very modern, sometimes questionable pieces as far as their artistic merit goes. Mm -hmm. When I look at your work, your work, it's clear what, what it is that you're trying to say in your work. What, From an artistic sense of view, when you see something that's... A, Incredibly esoteric that that most many people would question as as actually being art and why yeah. it's being funded. Mm. How do you do? You still see beauty in all forms of art, or is there a is there a line for you which, in which you say, "Well, that's just ridiculous." Well, you're tempted to say it; it's ridiculous mm -hmm. until you. Uh, I think <clears throat> you have to become educated to that. You, you see it over and over, and you you see something in it more every time you see it and well I think having been an art instructor it might be easier for me to see what, what's uh, what's really going on yeah. in the artistry of it right um, like Picasso you say it, everything is distorted yeah but he has a sense of artistry of balance of mm -hmm. color of all these shapes right form and Van Gogh also he was um, more of a rural type yeah 
And so all his work is based on the, the rural part of his experiences. So how does a viewer who doesn't have that, that education to, to be able to step back and look at a piece that's not, not clear right from, the, right from first glance, how do, you, how do you learn those skills? Who's, who are the educators? How does that, how does that education get, um, get uh, disseminated? Well, just <clears throat> you need somebody who has had no art experience or education. Yeah. Well, th this is, like you mentioned before, people think that uh, that's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. But the job of the viewer, or if it's a job, it, the, the, the viewer experiences that over and over till finally they really appreciate what they see. Mm -hmm. At least I can speak that for, for that because that's what happened to me. Right. You know, right. It's a matter of being open-minded and educating yourself. Yeah, there does need to be some mm -hmm. involvement. Our viewers do have to sometimes mm -hmm. work to, to, to appreciate a piece. You're right. It just can't be spoon-fed all the time. I mean, I don't think artists set out to say, well, I must spoon-feed my audience, therefore I must create something extremely accessible. I think I don't think that anything informs... I don't think artists have a, a, a modus operandi behind, mm -hmm. behind what it is that they're creating <coughs> that's that specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the way it is. I, I, did, I couldn't express it any better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be it would be as detrimental to one's art form to have that going on from the onset as it would be to not be a procrastinator <clears throat> and to have all the time in the world to to get something done when yeah. the true brilliance of your work uh, occurs in the sense of urgency to get it done. Right. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think uh, in my case or in my experience, I I like to paint something that has a story behind it. Yeah. And when I paint murals, it has to have a... Well, the first thing you, <clears throat> you get thrown at you is a theme. Yeah. And usually it's historic, the history of something. Mm -hmm. And then my job is to, to create an image or a series of images over uh, superimposing and making a mural out of it. And uh, you have to really study the, the the theme thoroughly because once you get on the wall you can't make any mistakes there are tourists or <clears throat> local people standing there watching they might say oh no no that's not right you know right, stuff right, like that right but uh i i just uh, study it to that degree where i can't uh, put anything on the wall that's not right do you see your work in your in your mind, you, you before it actually gets realized on canvas. Mm -hmm. I see it in my mind, but okay, take uh, for example. <clears throat> uh, okay, there's a triptych. Yes, it's Lockwood. It's my wife's hometown. All right. The center is a painting that I did for a show, Vanishing Icons. The others also are vanishing icons. Right. The first picture I taught at Lockwood in a rural school, and at the end of the school year, I went into town where they were building an elevator. 
and I asked the boss for a job. So I was on the crew that built this elevator. Oh, wow. And then from there, we moved to build another one. But anyway, <clears throat> that was my summer holidays. <clears throat> that picture is what it looked like when this elevator was finished, when it was built. You know? Right. And that's what the town looks like. The town is spread out this way. The third picture is that elevator being demolished. When did that so happen? So many years later. That was in 2000. Were you there for the demolition? No, I, I missed it. They told me about it, and I just couldn't be there. But, you see, this one happened in 1955. I was teaching there. And it, it stayed there right. for 45 years. And that's when they started demolishing all these elevators. So that triptych is really a journey. You didn't have... Did you have all three in mind at the time you painted them? Did you paint them all at once? I, I took them... They're my impression of a photograph that I have. Ah. Okay, that... See, for example, the middle one. I painted it. That's the town of Lockwood, as it's been seen for years. Mm -hmm. And it, the, the part that is completely painted, it tells the story. So at the bottom, I just leave the sketch unpainted. Right. The story is already told, so why continue? Right. I had a number of these uh, in, in that show, Vanishing Icons, uh, but this triptych is very typically vanishing icons. Right. What is it like to be involved in the building of a grain elevator? <clears throat> well, it's, it's not everybody can do it, but I, I can go any height. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not scared of heights. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the people who work on that crew aren't either, but when they pick up local workers, like, for example, in, in this one, uh, they were up about 20 feet when I, when I got there. And they had a local guy up there. And I started work by hauling rocks in it with a wheelbarrow. And the boss came to me and he said, how would you like to be up there? I said, I'd kill for that. He said, well, there's a guy up there. He says he can't stand the height. Hmm. Just go up there and tell him that you you'd take over. He'll just throw, everybody had to buy a hatchet for pounding spikes and chop, notching and a handsaw. He just threw it at me. He said, I'm finished. And I didn't even have to buy it. <laughs> but, no. Uh, uh, no they, he was ready to get down. It just... Uh, I, I'm not scared of heights at all. I was swinging from the rafters up in the cubelo. Wow. Do you remember any tragedies that happened during the building of that grain elevator? Uh, any major <clears throat> accidents? Yeah, there... On our crew, nothing happened, except once when the, the call went for lunch. Everybody tried to get down as fast as they could. Right. And one guy, he thought he'd get over, he swung, there was a rope to take all our lumber up, a winch, a frog they called yeah, it. Yeah. Well, he grabbed the rope and he was going to shinny down on that rope. Luckily, we weren't up that, that high, but he, the, the rope wasn't attached to the other end. So he practically did a free fall Wow! and he wrecked his feet in a pile of lumber. It's lucky that's all he wrecked. Yeah. I just wanted that job, and I'd... 
Right. Got it. No stranger to manual labor. No way. No. Not every artist can say that. Well, you grew up on the farm with eight, seven brothers, six sisters. You have to pull your weight. You, right. you don't slack off. Right. And that <clears throat> that was a great help, too. Your life has been fully realized, Gus. You've 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 experienced a tremendous amount, and you're so fortunate to to have this artistic form in which to express it. Um, and I get the sense that you don't have any regrets for the journey that you've taken. No, I'd do it all over again. Mm-hmm. And while teaching, you see. I had to supplement my meager income. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so in summertime, from 1963 to 93, 30 years, I went hail adjusting to crops, mm. adjusting hail losses. Mm-hmm. And, and I enjoyed that. It was uh, outdoors, <clears throat> met farmers all over Saskatchewan, and uh, I enjoyed it. And then I, in 93, after a few years, the murals kicked in. I was doing murals all across the country. And so I had to drop one thing, mural painting or hail adjusting. Well, I guess I get bored easily. And I thought, gee, I'd rather paint murals. So I dropped the hail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so after that... Summer and winter, too, sometimes, for indoor murals. I I was busy with that, and that paid off. I mean, they had to pay you. For example, the one on uh, the grain elevator. Yes. That's a a maquette, you know. That's what would happen. Uh, It's 60 feet high and 50 feet wide. And so when you get to the top, you, you can't be afraid of heights. I should think not, which is interesting because I tend to think that folks that grew up on the prairies, um, heights are, 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 are well, yeah, you know, you, I mean, you're not keep, fond of being surrounded by mountains, no, um, open spaces, and certainly yeah. heights aren't, aren't something well, you grew up with. Just, Where anyway. did you get that from? I guess you just grew up fearless. Uh, well, I guess... Uh, I don't know. Some people had naturally are afraid of heights, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'm not. <clears throat> anyway, the, the the painting of murals took over, and when we painted this, uh, it's the year before I was in. Bo- it's in Boys of Ain, <clears throat> Manitoba, mm-hmm. and uh, I I painted several murals in Boys of Ain, and a friend of mine. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Jackson, he he was painting in Boys of Maine too, and this one time we were painting, and the master ceremonies on a flat deck. We we're all signing our murals for that summer. He said, "Someday we might even have a a mural on that elevator across the street." That's the way he talked, and he said, "Now Gus will sign his mural." And I, so I, before I went, I jumped up on the flat deck and took the mic. Yeah, I'd like to get cut loose on that elevator. He said, "You want? You would want to paint that?" Yeah. Anyway, that next winter, the murals committee approached me about it. 
And then I got Jackson uh, involved too, because we thought someday we might try one together, jointly. So we did that. Wow. It was kind of fun to do. Uh, <clears throat> but um, I'm glad that I was able to record some of your stories. Any plans to write a book on your life experiences? Well, there was one guy in Wishaw, he, he took pictures of all my murals across Canada, mm -hmm. and he was going to write a book, <clears throat> Larger Than Life, Murals by Gus Froese. Yes. And, but he, he never finished it. I, I've got the rough copy here, uh -huh. that's all. <laughs> but uh, so here you have all the murals or some of the right. murals that I've done. Uh, How many have you done in total? Have you counted them all? Oh, gee, it must be somewhere near a hundred or so. And how far east can we find them? Uh, <clears throat> actually, uh, Oshawa, uh -huh. Kitchener, mm -hmm. Kenora. Yeah. And at one time, this this is no. I shouldn't tell this story. Anyway, it, in Ottawa, <laughs> Picasso had a show in, in the National Gallery, mm -hmm. and across the river on Hull is the, oh, what do you call it, Museum of Mankind. Yes. And I was showing in there. It, it, it wasn't a mural, but it was a, a, um, an interview done of the mural when I was painting this one. Mm -hmm. So they put that on the permanent display in the Museum of, Mo of Civilization. And uh, Picasso's show was all done and taken away, and mine kept going. So a year You two, outlived Picasso. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a good legacy oh, to have. Oh, sure. <laughs> Who inspires Gus Froese as a... What whose artistry inspires you? Uh, <clears throat> well, present or well, deceased? Okay, Nolan Mulcaster for one. Yes, Ernest Lindner. When I was taking classes at Emma Lake, mm -hmm. Lindner had a cabin on Ferry Island. He he owned that island, and that's the island you see across there. Right. And uh, every day when we went to class. Here's Lindner tramping across campus with a backpack, and he's, he's already finished work. Mm. He's heading over, canoed over to his island, to his studio, and painted. And I got to know him fairly well. And I, I just really enjoyed his work. But uh, I, I, that doesn't mean I, I would paint like him. Sure. I right. just liked the, the way he painted. And maybe it influenced mine, too. I'm not sure. Yeah, Rembrandt, he, he, he's an influence to everybody, I think. What do you think of Andy Warhol's work? Oh, yeah, that's another one. <clears throat> it's, uh, uh, mm, it's super realistic, mm -hmm. and you have to admire anybody who can work that, uh, mm -hmm. that tight and uh, realistically. Right. But there are others who do the same thing, like Linder mm -hmm. is just very realistic. 
But it has a painterly quality about this realism. Warhol's doesn't. It, it's just a duplicate. You see the label on a can. There's no impressionism there. It's just like a photograph. Yeah. Well, you're an institution in this town, Gus. I mean, your reputation precedes you. So yeah, when I phoned uh, when I phoned around um, Mustra to inquire who I should speak with, you were consistently the name that came up. So well, you're yeah. you're really well you're well loved in this town. Well, that's thanks. That's good to know. Yeah, I mean, it's, I love that you don't know that. I'm flattered. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Humility is a very important thing. <laughs> but I'm so glad we had the opportunity to talk. Oh, me too. It's been interesting to chat. You enjoy talking about your experiences. You really do. Well, it's, sure. it, it's been an enjoyable life. I would, like I say, I would do it all over again. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts or to see the great work being done by other Sass Culture animateurs, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Stryker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...